Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 74, Back to the Future Movie Review. Chris McBride here, along with Yancey Eaton. It's Pop Goes Your World. Yancey, what's new in the world of pop for you, my young friend? Um, not a lot. Last episode, I mentioned that I was reading John Steinbeck's classic, East of Eden. I have since finished it. Oh, and, and, and what's the conclusion on this? Uh, it's good. And Steinbeck's really smart, or was really smart, a lot smarter than I'll ever be. And um, this was a book, I guess, that he had written much later in life. So he had already put out tons of classics like, um, you know, you had mentioned Grapes of Wrath yes, and Of Mice and Men and, yep. you know, countless other like just really just amazing American literary classics. And uh, I was so, man, I was just so blown away by it that uh, I went out and just bought like a whole bunch of his books uh, off the Internet and like they're going to start showing up and I'm just going to keep tackling them one after the other. In between them, uh, in, in between those books coming back in, I'm picking up uh, The Catcher in the Rye, which I've never actually read. I know no, a lot of people you've read, never like, read in high it? school and stuff. Oh, no, no man, I haven't. So good, man. Oh, it's yeah, so, so good. I, uh, I, I've, I've seen memes and stuff about it, which basically, you know, kind of poke fun at it, saying that, like, uh, if you could sum up the book in, like, you know, one sentence, it's just white people problems. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how true that is or not, um, yeah. but uh, I know it's a classic, and I know a, a lot of people really enjoy the book. So um, regardless if I enjoy it or not, I, I like to expose myself to as much stuff like that as I possibly can. And, man, I, I can't say enough. I'm not articulating exactly why I loved East of Eden so much, but it was just such a fantastic, just absolutely phenomenal book. And um, I can't w- I can't wait to read Graves of Wrath. I think that's going to be the, the first of uh, the next Steinbeck books I'm going to read. But uh, what's new with you, Chris? Um, so just on, on, a, on an aside there um, from your books you're talking about, I think The Grapes of Wrath is one of the top probably three greatest American novels ever written. You're going to love it. You're going to wow. love it, man. It's right up there. I think Moby Dick is good, too. But, oh, man. Oh, it's so good. You'll love it. Um, before we came on the air, you and I were just kibitzing uh, back and forth, and you were humming a theme song. Do you want to hum that theme song for me? <laughs> the come and knock on my door. <laughs> yes. So you obviously know where that's from. It's from Three's Company, right? Have you ever seen that show? Um, maybe bits and pieces once or twice, Chris. Uh, it's You know, like roommates might have had it on like in the past or something, but I've never actually sat down and watched a full episode, I don't think. So it's funny that you know the, by the way, it's a great sitcom. It's classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny that you know the theme from a show, but you don't even really know the show without Correct. really having seen the show. It's amazing. <laughs> we'll have to do a show on uh, uh, TV themes at some point in the future. Uh, what's new with me? Oh, I've got some in- interesting things for you, my friends. So I watched two movies in the last week and this, you're going to love this one. So one was a millennial film. And one was a Gen X film. And Yancey, I think, I don't know, you might be proud of me on this one. So, okay, the millennial movie first. It was one I'd obviously I'd never seen. Um, and the Gen X movie was one I'd seen before, you know, and also one that I loved as a kid. The millennial film was Lady Bird. Have you seen that? I haven't. I know it got tons of Oscar hype, but I haven't watched it yet. It stars uh, Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf. And man, it was, un- it was fantastic. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's like about... Like, I'm not going to ruin it for anybody. Like, it's like a coming of age movie. Like, it's about social status and relationships and friendships. And kind of at the center of it all is this fractured relationship between this teenage girl and her mother. It's just, oh, it's a really good movie, man. Really good. And then on the flip side of things, I had my son watch a personal favorite from my youth, Yancey. Uh, when I was a kid, I absolutely loved, and I've said this before on the show, I loved the TV show Battlestar Galactica. 
Like, I just loved it. And the two-hour pilot episode uh, was actually, what they did was they actually released it in theaters as a movie, right? And I loved it as a kid. And so I had my son watch it. And I got to be honest with you, man, and I'm, and I'm willing to be honest when I need to be. Uh, I was shocked at how bad it was. Really? Oh, man, it really sucked. <laughs> oh, man, it was awful. It wasn't at all like I remembered it. It was really disheartening. And, you know, the way that, that things go on this show, like, I just love reliving my youth over and over again with all these things. And very rarely do I go back and watch something that I haven't seen in, like, you know, you know, 35 years or 40 years or whatever. And I go back and watch it and it just realize, oh, my God, it's terrible. But it was not good. I was... It really sucked. Oh, man. I would say outside of Lauren Green, the actors weren't very good in it. Um, although you would be shocked at how um, beautiful Jane Seymour was as a younger woman. That that stood out to me. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. She's still beautiful. But man, she was something in that. Um, but the movie was really, really crappy. Like, I, I will admit when stuff from my generation isn't as good as I remember it. And this one definitely falls into that category, Yancey. Oh, man, it was not good. But uh, one, I will say one thing, though. Like just, it, that has not stood the test of time. But one movie that has stood the test of time, in my opinion anyway, is Back to the Future. I loved it when I was young. I still think it's awesome. So why don't we get started? Toga. <laughs> As a millennial, how offensive is that scene? Blatant chauvinism and sexism and voyeurism and spying on girls. Otis loves us. What, what's the movie? Is it Porky's or Corky's? I can't remember. Or we're the only white people here. This movie is incredibly vulgar. It's raunchy. It's ribald. Well, could you also get four dates from my friends? You know that it's morally reprehensible. This is a millennial versus Gen X thing. I'm very, very, very polished, Chris. Yeah. Okay, so Yancey, I had you go back and watch the 1985 Gen X staple film, Back to the Future, because you had mentioned on a previous show you'd never seen it. And so I was so surprised. I wanted you to go back and watch it. So you are a millennial. I'm making you watch all these old movies. This one is one that is really beloved by by an entire generation. Uh, so first impressions on the movie, never having seen it before. Uh, go ahead. Uh, Back to the Future is very good. It's super entertaining. Um, it's a lot clever, like a lot more clever than I had anticipated. Um, I wish, I, I kind of wish there were more Christopher Lloyd in it. I thought Michael J. Fox, I've never really seen him in a film when he was that young. I, I think most of my exposure to him was in stuff that was much, much later, like um, like Spin City or right. uh, you know some of his other work. So it was really weird kind of seeing that same voice, which is pretty iconic. And it's like, it's... You can hear Michael J. Fox doing like voiceover work on anything. You know that it's him. But to see him in like basically like a kid's potty, I, mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting. But um, altogether, like a really, really fun movie um, that didn't go as I had expected at all. Just like with uh, you know the plot itself. And, you know, I've seen little bits and pieces of it just, you know, through YouTube clips or people referencing it or whatever. But I've never watched the whole movie. Um, it was a much different film than I had anticipated. But I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, that's good. I'm glad that you did. So Michael J. Fox, let's uh, let's touch base on him for a minute. So first of all, obviously, I love this movie as well. I agree with you. I think it's clever. I think it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about how if, how dated it is, but starting with Michael J. Fox. So it's funny because this is where the, we, we differ a little bit, right? Because you're looking at him going, oh, I'm so used to seeing him older. Like, because when he did stuff like, I think it was like Boston Legal and stuff like that, like later on, right? After he really came down with Parkinson's and he still continued to act. Um, so your generation kind of thinks of him as that. And then you see him in this and go, whoa, he looks so different, right? To me, this is Michael J. Fox. So Michael J. Fox, you got to put things in perspective of the time. So you go back in time to 1985. Let's go back 
to the past for a minute, shall we, Yancey? Um, so in 1985, at the time, um, Alec, uh, he played a character called Alex P. Keaton on Family Ties. So Family Ties was a sitcom. I'm sh- sure you've heard of it. You've probably never seen it. Have you ever seen it or no? I haven't seen it, but is this the one where like he is like a, like in the Young Republicans Club kind of thing? Is yeah. So what it is is basically, up? yeah, it's really cool. Like it was a really popular show, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. So in it, his parents are uh, Stephen and Elise Keaton, and they're like these '60s flower children, and they're like involved in the Peace Corps and the whole sexual revolution of the '60s and all that stuff. And then they get married, and their son turns out to be a staunch conservative. Now I should point out though. 80s conservatism, much different from the current conservatism, you know, that, that's going on. Like right now, it's just a bunch of angry people looking to blame others for their faults, right? But, but back in the 80s, there were these conservatives that were actually interested in stuff like fiscal responsibility and like a hardline stance against Russia. And they were advocates of a more powerful like American influence and, you know, abroad and things like that. But anyway, mm-hmm. the thing is, like, it is really tough to pull off a character like that and make him likable. But that's exactly what he did. And he's an amazing actor. So anyway, he was Michael, or he was Alex P. Keaton, uh, Michael J. Fox was, and he was just such, you're not supposed to like this guy, but you can't help but like him. He's just such a likable, like, what an actor, right? So he's this, like, breakout TV star in 1985 and then all of a sudden it comes along and he's in this like high premise new movie about time travel and it just all worked out so well it's a clever script you know it's a, it's a great movie and so where family ties kind of made him a star back to the future made him a household name and so at the time him being in this movie was just huge and the cool thing is as an aside he wasn't originally cast in this movie so the original actor was eric stoltz you know eric stoltz does that name ring a bell? Uh, I, I- I only do simply because you're just blasting my trivia questions for tonight, but yeah, sure. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So Eric Stoltz, you probably know best from Pulp Fiction. Okay, so Correct. he's, he's yep. the guy with the heroin, right? And he was in, back in the 80s, he did some stuff too. He did like some kind of wonderful and mask, not the mask with Jim Carrey, but mask with Cher. And he plays Rocky Dennis. But anyway, he was in originally cast and they went through, they started shooting. And the Daily started to come back and the studio looked at it and were like, whoa. Eric Stoltz is a wonderful actor. Don't get me wrong. He's done a a lot. He's had a wonderful and and very diverse and very prolific career as an actor, but he just couldn't nail the comedy. He just couldn't get it. He just, it wasn't there in his So wait, did they actually bring him in? Yeah, they brought, they they started shooting the movie. They were shooting the movie and the dailies are coming back to the studio and the studio head, the producers are looking at these dailies going, this guy, this kid's not getting it. Like, it's just not working out. Like we're in trouble here. We need somebody who can get the new, the underlying nuances of this film is the comedy. It really, really is. And he just wasn't getting it. And I think one of the, the key things, and I think you can find it like on a DVD or even on YouTube somewhere, the scene where he is in the, um, the soda shop and his, his quote unquote, his dad as a young teenager is there. And he re- realizes that it's his dad and just the look on his face when he's, he just didn't get it. And then if you juxtapose that with uh, Michael J. Fox playing the scene, Michael J. Fox almost falls off the, the, the stool and just the look on his face and his hair is disheveled. And it's just, he got it. He got mm-hmm. it. So it was just, oh, Michael J. Fox was so, 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 so good. So some just other, to, just yeah. really quickly, just to touch on that point, 
Have we ever, I know we, we bring this up a lot where we talk about um, people who were almost cast in that role or who initially were and it didn't work out. Yep. You know, that, that's something that you and I, I I'm interested in. It. I think it's kind of cool to see, you know, almost like an alternate history to see what could have been. Mm-hmm. And every time we always talk about it, we, we think like, you know, what would you think about this actor or this actress playing in that role? And it never, it never seems like it would work out. Yeah. Like, I can't think of a movie where I'm like, oh, yeah, I like this movie. But you know what? I would like it better with a different actor like I mean, do you think there's something to that to where, you know, if you like a movie, like we're just incapable of swapping out different lead actors or actresses? Like, is, is there something to be said about that? Just that, like, don't break something or don't try to change something that, you know, to be good. Yeah, I mean, that's I use that uh, that, you know, terminology all the time with you when I say don't remake movies. Don't right. it's already don't fix it. It's not broke. Right. But it's I think for. Let's put let's put it like this for classic, you know, quote unquote, classic movies or Gen X movies. It's a little harder because they have been around for so long. But I've done it multiple times with movies um, that I've seen old ones as well as newer ones. You'll notice a lot of times when you give me a movie to watch, I'll be like, wow, I thought it was miscast. I think um, what was the last one we did? Um, Contact. We talked about that movie Contact. I, I felt that the two lead characters, the actors were miscast. In that movie, mm-hmm. I thought that other actors should have would have done a lot better in those roles. So I think sometimes that's the case. But I think when it comes to a lot of these kind of movies, especially when they become iconic films, like you couldn't picture anyone else being in these roles. You know what I mean? Especially a movie like this where and the thing is, to me, casting is a, is a funny creature because it's usually one way or the other. You usually don't find too many films where the casting is really, really good. And then there's like one miscast person person. It's like everybody just fits their roles so perfectly or something's just not quite right across the board. You know what I mean? Right. That's what I find. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think about that all the time. And I, we, we, we kind of do deep dives into our movies here on the podcast. And that's something that I always love to talk about are people that were originally cast or were thought of to play a part. And then like, you just couldn't imagine them playing the part. You know, mm-hmm. and that's definitely the case here. Any other takeaways from the film? So you found you said it was clever. Um, but the thing is, and in it in it what I don't want to wreck any more trivia, but I mean it was nominated uh, for an Oscar for the screenplay, best original screenplay, because it was a sharp, sharp script, right? But what about how dated it is or isn't? I'd like to know your thoughts of that because if you're watching the movie, a lot of the jokes in the movie are take place in the, or, or, or kind of are rooted in the fact that he goes back to 1955 and he has all these like 80s references that they don't get because they're right. like I, they, they totally don't get and we'll get into some of them but now watching it at you for the first time as a millennial does the movie itself seem dated it does seem dated but i'm okay with it i i they, they kind of beat that to like they really use that a lot, like um, referencing different things like, you know, whenever he's trying to open up like his glass Pepsi bottle and, you know, his dad grabs the bottle and like shows him like the can opener on the side, like little things like that where it was really subtle. And it's not like an overt like, you know, tie back to like the future or, the, or you know, the way things used to be kind of thing. It's not like in your face like, oh, right. that's how in 1985 we do it. I really appreciated those where it was just it, it was kind of like in the background. You don't really notice it unless you're actually paying attention. It's the overt, like over the top, like guitar solo at the right. prom. You know what I mean? Where it's just so much. He's like, you know, it, it doesn't fit in like this guy is basically, you know, he's he's terrified. He's trying to get back to 1985. You know, there's all this stuff going on. He, he you know, there was violence and all these things. But, you know, they throw in like this, like 
you know, two and a half minute guitar solo where he's completely shredding and playing the guitar behind his head and all these different things like, oh, well, your, your kids will love it. You know, what I mean, that part, it's, it's almost like too bombastic. It's almost too intentional. And it's like it's it's forced on you that that particular stuff. I, I don't think I don't know. It- but but just as an aside now that the importance of that scene to me has been a couple things. Number one, it's like he he actually is the uh, revolution or he's the, he's the person that sort of starts rock and roll, right? Cause he's playing that song. And then the guy in backstage is, is like, Hey, he's on the phone to his, to his cousin, uh, Chuck Berry. And he's like, Hey, listen to this, listen to this. So it's almost like he start. but the, here's the key thing with that scene is the very first scene in the movie is him going to the prom. If you remember, and there's all the people that are doing the audition for hiring the band and he tries out and he's playing. If you listen to it at the beginning, he's playing like a kind of a, you know, kind of a freestyle version of power of love. And they're like, no, 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 it's too loud. And his dream was to play at the prom. He loves to play. And remember the first scene too, where he turns the guitar on and gets blown away. And he guitar is his thing. Right. And like, especially like excessive guitar is his thing. And so to finally at the end, get the chance to get on stage, whether or not there was just a fight, whether or not there was all this stuff going on and he jumped up on stage he finally got to play guitar in front of a crowd and he was just going to put all of his energy into it. That's what I took from it. True. I guess I, I mean, I did see the part where he auditions and stuff. I, I must've just overlooked that and just saw it as like a, just like a weird scene that they had stuck in for no reason. It was, it was like very Ferris Bueller esque. You yeah. know what I mean? Whenever right. like, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I didn't dislike it. It, it just it, it felt so out of place. But I guess whenever you hearken back to that original scene, it was kind of they introduced something like him not being able to play in front of a crowd. And they they rectify that there was a resolution to it by him actually getting to do that at prom. But so I, I guess that does make sense. And then the, the scene when he um, dresses up in his in his like he's got like a hazmat suit or whatever he was wearing. Remember when he was doing the experiment with Doc and then he went back to the future and then he puts it on and he puts the he's got the Walkman. And he puts the headphones on his dad laying in bed and he pushes the button Van Halen. and plays Eruption by Van Halen, right? And so yep. in 1985 in the movie theater, like this made a lot of people laugh. And it was a huge joke because we couldn't as an audience imagine what it would be like for a person from the 50s to be laying in bed and to wake up with a Walkman in their ears blasting Eruption. Like a Walkman? What's that? You know, and like and now it's funny now you watching as a millennial are probably like, what the hell's a Walkman? What the hell is that thing? It was a cassette tape. You know what I mean? But there was just there was so there was that. Um, the other one, too, in that scene is when he says, I'm Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. Vulcan. Yes. <laughs> Again, he's, he's just throwing like these 80s references in. Right. And then the whole idea of yeah. the skateboard. Remember, he takes like the the, guy, the kids got like a wooden scooter thing and he breaks it and he turns it into a skateboard. People are like, what the hell is this guy doing? And um, and then the other one that stuck out to me was when he uses the word heavy. You know, he's like, oh, this is heavy. And then Doc's mm. like, weight has nothing to do with it. What are you talking about? And then again, later on, he says heavy. He goes, you keep using that word heavy. Like, why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull or something? Like, so, there, and that's just heavy was a word people used in the 80s, right? So, I don't know. There was a lot of things like that. I also like the other one that stands out to me, sorry, is when they're in the soda shop and he says, uh, yeah, can I get you something? And uh, Marty says, yeah, I'll have a Pepsi free. And the guy's like, I'm like you want a Pepsi? You're paying for it. <laughs> oh, all right, well, just give me a tab. Well, I, I can't give you a tab unless you order something. So, well, just give me something without sugar in it. And he gets a black coffee. You know, like, so it's just, there is, <laughs> so again, there's 80s references there that are probably very dated by, you know, today's standard. But, uh, but, uh, but you, you didn't find the dating to be too distracting in any way for you? No, I didn't. Um, I mean, this is, 
it, it's basically like a time capsule piece. Like you, you look back at this and because it was in the 80s, they're going to amplify the fact that he is coming from 1985 even more so than you would see in a typical movie where the background is just the background. You know what I mean? They're not they're not trying to drive constantly that this guy is from the future. You know what I mean? Right. So like I, I'm, I'm willing to accept that going into it because you you understand that the whole theme of the movie is time travel. So what point would it be bringing a guy from the future if you're not going to reference the, the era that he came from? So like I was I was honestly pretty OK with it. Oh, OK, that's good. What about the uh, the DeLorean? Did you find the DeLorean to be uh, um, an interesting choice of car, I guess? It is. Um, weird story. I went on a summer vacation with my family years and years ago. I think I was maybe 12 or 13, something. Um, we have a bunch of family up in Indiana and Ohio, and I can't remember which state of the two it was because they're they're interchangeable. I know I'm going to piss a lot of people off when I say this, but two pretty forgettable middle, what you know, Midwestern states as far as Ohio and Indiana goes. Very undiscernible between the two. Uh, but we went to a a car museum in one of these vacations, and they had the AMC there. They had the DeLorean. And uh, the the guy said, funny story, he's like, this car is the only car in this entire museum where we have hundreds and hundreds of cars that is worth less today than it was when it first yes. came out. <laughs> That's like, interesting. Yeah. That is very interesting. Yeah. And he's like, you know, obviously it's 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 kind of like a there's a there's a small demand for it. It has a little bit of a collector value just because people like the novelty of having, you know, it from the movie. But as a standalone car, I guess it was kind of a POS. But um, I thought it was an interesting choice. Like. Uh, it, it's quirky. You know, they could have gone with some sort of sports car or, you know, some like, you know, a team van or something. But the fact that it's just a DeLorean, I think it's 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 really kind of interesting. There's lots of little decisions that they make within this movie that does kind of make it its own thing. And I, I kind of like that. It's it's unique in that sense. Yeah. They wanted to go with a Ford Mustang for the movie. And Ford actually came along and offered a money for product placement. And they said, no, they went with the DeLorean. But the DeLorean's interesting because the um, and somebody actually in my neighborhood here in Canada drives around in, in one of those, in one of the DeLoreans. And I think it's interesting. It's a daily driver. Like, well, I guess I, and I can hear it because it's got <laughs> such a unique sound. It reminds me of like a Lamborghini, like a Lamborghini has that kind of really unique sound, you know, when it's driving and a DeLorean has a funny sound like that too. And the thing with the DeLorean motor company that makes that again, it's kind of cool because it dates the movie somewhat, right? Because it's a very 80s thing. So back in the 80s, John DeLorean was this guy that came along and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to start up my own motor company. And like people are like, you're crazy. People don't start up your own motor company. There's there's like the big motor vehicle companies and that's it. You don't compete against them, right? So he comes along, decides he's going to make this. And it was like this kind of weird car it was really low to the ground, you know, like the, the doors opened up. It was a high pitched, you know, you know, a sound to the car. And then what happened was the 80s being what they were is he got busted for cocaine and it just absolutely <laughs> killed the company. Like it just it just killed it. But it's just so funny that like. The, like a DeLorean, even at the time, I think the line in the movie was the doc is like, well, you know, if I'm going to build a time machine, I, I got to do it in style, you know? And uh, because at the time, I think a DeLorean was considered stylish, you know, for a very small period of time. That's interesting. So, so one, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I guess why they why they picked it, right? Um, so a couple of themes in the movie I wanted to touch base. I, one that always stands out to me when I watch this is just this whole idea of having sort of a child having to be involved in like raising their parents. Because like he go, he has to go back in time and he has to point them in the right direction, right? He has to he has to help them with their confidence and like teach them to stand up for themselves and all this, which is a very well, interesting. He, he, he thing. doesn't have to. He has to undo what he's already done. So he he's, I think he's going into it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like he's just trying to skate by, and then he realizes that he may have already altered history. So now he's having to force himself on them and kind of redirect things 
to like make sure that he is still in existence whenever he comes back or his siblings are. So like it wasn't his initial intention to do any type of like character development. No, no, absolutely. Like, you're right. Correction. Right. It was just because of when he was walking down the street, he got hit by the car and they took him in and it happened to be his grandpa that took him in and his mother who then falls for him. And he has to get her to not fall for him because he has to get her to fall for the dad or else. Yeah. Him and his brother and sister will never exist. Right. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, he's got it. But he, the, the funny thing is then he's got to help his parents along the way. Right. He's got to get his dad's confidence up. He's got to like, you know, teach him to, to like fight back against Biff and all this stuff and, and, and be able to, you know, actually put it together, a, you know, a coherent sentence, you know, when he's trying to teach him to say, uh, what's the line? You're my destiny. Destiny. But yeah. he's like, you're my density. You're my density. <laughs> it's so funny. And Crispin Glover, such a bizarre, bizarre human being. Um, just to go back a bit, just as an aside, Crispin Glover was on one time. Now, Crispin Glover, Crispin Glover is the guy that played um, uh, his dad, right? I remember one time watching, I used to watch Letterman. And you, you're a Letterman fan, right? Correct. Right. Yeah. So I used to watch Letterman all the time when I was a teenager. I just thought he was great. And I remember Crispin Glover being on there one time and like threatening to kick him in the face. He's like, I could kick you in the face, Dave. And he was like standing up and like swinging his foot at him. Like he's, he's out to lunch. Like he's as crazy as they come. But when you, if you can find a way to contain him like Zemeckis did and able to just deliver it, you know, in a performance, like he, he was really good in this part, in this part. Don't you think? Like I thought his dad was fantastic. Fantastically cast. He was just this weird, quirky dork. So, uh, no, I really liked him. Um, I, I, I like the fact that he doesn't act like anybody else in the movie. No. He's completely yeah. his own character. He's not He's not assimilated to, like, the culture at all. He is, you know, he sticks out, like, sorely as, like, his own individual. Nobody else acts like him. He doesn't talk like anybody else. He doesn't even really put up much of an effort to kind of blend in. And I like that. And it's, it's also interesting how, you know, the one thing. Being able to do one thing in your life can change, can alter the future. And in this case, being able to stand up to Biff and mm-hmm. punch him changed everything. Because if you remember, originally, in when they were in the, the in the present day, quote unquote, the future, um, like his parents, his mom was overweight and she looked really old and his dad didn't have a lot of money and wasn't successful at work. And, and all still this. really insecure and, and insecure and everything. Biff and, and, but yeah. being a, and Biff was coming over and making him wash his car still all these years later and being able to stand up to him and punch him at the dance mm-hmm. and stand up for the girl that he liked changed everything. So now like she looks good and he looks good and they've got money and his new book is in. And he's now like a writer of science fiction and Biff now has to come over and Biff is now bald and has to like wash his car. And it's just so funny. Like this because of a quirky little thing. So while, while we're on this, cause yeah. this actually brings up a bunch of different stuff that I did want to bring up. So, for it. Yeah. so, so you're talking about like, you know, how one little thing that one little course correction, all of a sudden, you know, um, his dad had this confidence to basically be himself and to become this famous writer. The mom is healthy. The dad is healthy. Um, and then even like the roles are reversed. So you've given me – there's a lot of things I want to say. You've given me a lot of stuff before about you thought Interstellar was super boring, right? But one thing that I always you know, hearkened back to and really appreciated about Interstellar was uh, while it wasn't perfect scientifically, they did make an attempt at making it a somewhat coherent science movie, especially as it relates to time and, and space, right? This movie I don't think makes any attempt at that and i think it's okay i think that's fine because they're upfront about it you know what with like plutonium and flux capacitors and uh all these different things and uh it kind of bothered me the fact that like you know like he he brings a photo of his family into the 
past with him and the the images will literally fade out and 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 disappear as you know history is being course corrected which that is some really problematic science um <laughs> his hand really, disappears as he's playing the guitar remember right that's really really problematic <laughs> but i get that it's a movie and it's yeah. not trying to be accurate i understand that and i'm bouncing around a lot but i'm trying to get all these thoughts out of my head that i wrote down so there is the one scene where. Sorry, um, can, so can I jump in with something for you? If you yeah, really yeah. like that, because you're because you're mentioning like this movie didn't do it really really well in terms of course correcting the future. But if you really like that, I'll give you one. It's a millennial film. It's from 1999. It's not even American. It's a German film, and the director was Tom Tekwer, and it's called Run Lola Run. Okay, so I'm going to give you a millennial film, and what it is is the whole movie is about what if one little tiny thing in your day you did differently. How would it change the future? I'm getting goosebumps. This is like 100% my type of movie. You would absolutely love this. this we, should, we should flip the podcast on its head at sometime in the future, and I will nominate a millennial film for you that you would love. And, that, love- and that is one. Let me tell you. Like I say, it's German. It's got subtitles, but it is phenomenal, especially in terms of action and all the things that are going on in it. But the whole idea is, what if you just – we're nice to somebody or if you were this mm-hmm. or that or what if you tried to do this or if you just bumped into somebody or you came around the corner a second early and, and accidentally grazed somebody how would it change their life and how would your the future change well you, that you'd be blown away that very premise that's that's hg wells is the time machine right where they go back in time they i think it's i may be misremembering but they kill a butterfly and that is the only thing that they have basically done whenever they did time travel. But when they come back to present day, the Earth is completely desolate. So it, it plays on that same premise that, you know, just the slightest little, um, you know, adjustments here or there can, you know, compound and, and lead to super, super big things. Even in East of Eden, um, just to talk about the book that we were just talking about at the top of the show, um, there were people who genuinely believed back in the 1915 through 1920 era during World War One that all of the gunfire was causing droughts in Salinas, California. Like that was something that people thought, you know what I mean, that everything was so interconnected like that. But um, so try, trying to bring this all back, I know I'm, it, it's all over the place, but uh, – Talking about how little things make differences and stuff like that. Yes. Some of the things that I thought were really – it was almost too much for me were like whenever Biff's character is basically trying to you know, sexually assault, trying to rape um, Michael J. Fox's character's mom. Sorry, mm-hmm. I can't remember the, the character's names. I haven't watched it as much as you have. But so th- that's really problematic in and of itself, right? You know, he's he's a bully. He, he beats the piss out of people. And then he really – he literally tries to rape this woman. <laughs> and then we go back into the future knowing that all of those things had happened and you welcome this guy to like you you give this guy work. This guy is washing your car. You're comfortable with him around your family like stuff like that. I was like, okay, like they're they're not thinking about this practically at all. They're not seeing that this is real life whatever this is this is hollywood like that's the type of thing that would never happen nobody called the cops. In fact, the guy still works for him. I thought that that was a little problematic. Um and just just like the the back and forth stuff where Everything still kind of works out in the end. And I was thinking, well, this isn't I mean, this isn't really how like the, you know, the hero's journey works. Like it's not supposed to be, you know, everything completely works out in the end. Like what is what are they trying to say? And I was a little relieved at the end of the movie whenever um, the doc actually does come back and he says, oh, you know, you guys turned out great, but I got to talk to you about your kids. Right. And so it it, it does kind of set it up almost as like a I'm pretty sure there's a back to the future, too. Right. There is a sequel to this and it sets up the sequel. Um, but it, it kind of leaves a little bit of um, uncertainty, you know, ambiguity, like what actually happens, what happens in the future. Future, and it sets it up to where you could have a million of these movies if you wanted to. So 
there's really not a question there. It's just me trying to like spin out ideas. But like, I mean, are you okay with how loose they are as far as um, what he's able to get away with? What doesn't actually change the course of time versus what does? Like, what are your thoughts on all of that? Like, this could have been a much, much different movie. I thought I was expecting um, where they, the, the the doctor and him were both going back in time together and jumping forward and going back and jumping forward. I didn't expect it to be. He goes back in time one time and then comes back and that's it. So like what maybe dissect some of those piece by piece. I know I threw a lot. Of so a couple things. Uh, so where do I start with this? Um, the sequels I'll come back to because I've got an interesting revelation to make about the sequels that you're just going to want to hear. In terms of uh, being able to go back in time and really sort of change the course of history and how it you know all goes about and whether or not Doc should have went back with him. Okay, a couple things. So number one. Don't forget, remember, this isn't a millennial film like uh, like Interstellar that's three hours long and has like 10 million layers to it, okay? It's a comedy at its heart, you know, and it's a lot of fun to watch, right? It's just a right. fun, fun movie. So, Can you tell I struggle with that? Does yes, that you do. And, and you know what? Sometimes you just got to kind of let it go and just go along for the ride. I think if you just go along for the ride with this movie, you are going to really enjoy yourself. I think if you overthink this movie, you're not going to enjoy it as much. So that might be a play. Number two, Doc couldn't go back in time with him because the, one of the points is when he goes back is he's trying to convince the Doc to um, that to, to, to warn him that the uh, Iranian terrorists are going to shoot him. Right. Remember? And he's got to tip him off to let him know. And in fact, obviously, it does work because then when he goes back, he wore a he bulletproof vest. He taped the letter vest. together. Yeah, right? and he and he wore a bulletproof vest, right? So mm-hmm. there, there is that. So so there's that. And in regard to the sequels, the, the revelation that I'd like to make, and this might surprise some people, maybe not you, uh, but maybe some people. I have never seen Back to the Future 2 or Back to the Future 3. How is that possible? So I, well, and and this is why I think, because I really love this movie a lot. Like I say, I saw it in the movie theater when it came out. I was just, you know, I loved it. I really loved Family Ties at the time. I really liked Michael J. Fox. He's Canadian too. So there's so many things going on that I really liked about him as an actor. And, um, and so I really love this movie a lot. And for me, I know the way it ends at the end. Like you said, the doc's like, Hey, we got to go to the future. It's your children. It's your kids, you know? But to me, like, that's kind of funny. And then they take off and the car flies, right? So it's like, oh, and the future cars fly. But to me, it wrapped up and it was done. There was no more story to tell as far as I was concerned. Like, it was kind of a neat ending, but that was it. So I liked this movie the way it was. I felt it was a perfect little package. And I had no desire to see a sequel or a third one. And you got to remember, too, back then, and I still think it holds true today, sequels are almost always inferior to the first ones. Now, I know I've heard good things about two. I've especially heard good things about three. Um, but that being said, I've never had any desire to watch either one of them. And to this day, I still haven't. That's really interesting, Chris. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting. And and this goes true for a lot of Gen X movies. There are tons of sequels out there, and a lot of them I haven't seen. Because I just oh, no desire to. Meatballs is one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, I've said that a zillion times. They've made mm-hmm. Meatballs 2, Meatballs 3, Meatballs 4, Meatballs 5, 5. I've never seen any of them. Revenge of the Nerds, I loved. Revenge of the Nerds 2, Revenge of the Nerds 3. I haven't seen any of them. Well, I mean, I, I, I get the sentiment with you. Um, like, you know, for The Matrix, for instance. I talk about The Matrix every other show. Take a shot, guys. I <laughs> don't I I don't like what they did with the other movies. You know what I mean? I don't think they're the worst movies I've ever seen, but they do take away a little bit from 
the 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 mystique of of the movie. You know, what I mean, what what I view as a as a perfect standalone film, it, it lessens it. It does cheapen it. And you know, there's a part of me that wishes I could go back and not have seen those movies and just left them as they were. You know what I mean? As like its own separate thing that I don't have to visit because it does it does take away some of that magic. So I I 100% understand what you're saying. So one of the criticisms that I've always heard about this movie, and I want to throw this out to you and see what your thoughts are on it, are the relationship between Doc and Marty. So I guess the idea being that why is there this, you know, kind of wizardy, wizardry like old man scientist who lives alone It has all this quirky inventions and stuff? Um, why is he friends with like a teenage boy? And why does a teenage boy go over to his house all the time and like have a key to his house and go in there? And all this. And I've never really put a lot of thought into it because it's just a fun movie. You know, and, like I said, and sometimes you just got to put things aside and just go along for the ride and have a lot of fun. So I haven't put a lot of thought into it. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this because it's been from millennials that I've heard this criticism. So I wanted to kind of put it back to you and say, was that something that kind of struck you as being odd or did it ever come up at all? Or now that I've mentioned it, do you have any thoughts on it? I it didn't occur to me at first whenever you know you're first introduced to him he goes into the guy's house and you know he hasn't been there for a while and there's piles of dog food just winding up so um I didn't think of it at first like what is his actual relationship to this guy how is he connected to him and I didn't think it was weird until um what's his mom's name uh, uh Lorraine isn't it whenever Lorraine shows yeah. up uh, back in 1955, she shows up to the doctor's house and uh, Michael J. Fox's character is there. And she's like, who's this? And he's like, it's it's Doc. Oh, it's uh, it's my uncle. And like that weird, like, why wouldn't you just say like, oh, this is a friend of mine or this is a doctor? You know, I, why why the weird, you know, almost like covering up the fact that it's just like a man that you're not actually related to. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like it actually did kind of make it weird. And then at that point, I was like. Yeah, that is kind of weird. Like, what what is the relationship with this? But I mean, beforehand, no, I didn't think of anything. I don't I don't know if you have a theory as far as that goes, but it is one of the weirder, like unexplained relationships. But I don't think that's uncommon in Hollywood where they'll put two unlike people together and you're just supposed to accept the fact that these people have some sort of relationship together. Oh, yeah. And and, I mean, the chemistry between those two lead characters was so incredible Mm -hmm. that it drives the film. It really, really does. They're both going to be at Fan Expo this year in Toronto. Um, I'd like to make it down, but I probably won't be able to because I, I can only get to do one or the other. You know, I can only get out so much because I'm a busy guy. Um, so, and I really want to go see Fonzie at the Hamilton Comic Con this year. So, I think I might go there. But because uh, I did meet Christopher Lloyd, I got a chance to meet Christopher Lloyd backstage at the last Fan Expo. It was really cool and got a chance to talk to him briefly. Um, but this one is going to be uh, Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox are both going to be there. At this summer's, but uh, but like I say, yeah, the chemistry between them is so strong, and and Christopher Lloyd is so good. The whole scene when they're trying to like the clock tower and they're trying to connect the wire and drive across at just the right time, and just the chemistry between them and the energy, almost this manic energy that Christopher Lloyd brings to the role is mm-hmm. just almost otherworldly. Like he's so, he's so good, and you don't I, realize I wish there it, were more you know? of him. I really wish there were he more of him. He was so good. Oh man. Oh yeah. man, is he a good actor? And like when you when you go back and watch this, and I watched this uh, probably a couple months ago. It was the last time I saw it, and I introduced it to my son. I let him watch it, and he loved it and thought it was great. And even my wife and I were watching and laughing at Christopher Lloyd's performance because it was just so energetic and just he put so much into it. Like he really is on his own plane, that guy. But he's just perfect. You know, in this role, but but uh, overall, what uh, what would you give it as a rating? If you had to go back and give it a rating out of ten, what do you think? I 
so I, I I liked it a lot. Um, I think it's rewatchable, Chris. I think it's it's clever. Um, you know, I I love Michael J. Fox in it. I love Lloyd in it. Um, you know, like you you mentioned, Crispin Glover. He's he's really interesting. Um, he <laughs> he really stands out as like the oddest character, like the oddest casting choice in the film. But it works. I'm not saying like it doesn't work. Uh, Leah Thompson. I I almost feel like she deserved better in this film. Um, she's she's young. She's beautiful. She's a great actress. She's totally believable. Um, but it is such a weird dynamic with her basically being like sexually attracted to her son. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that, that's like, the whole like thing, even me, yeah. like I, I thought you were going to mention this yourself, but like I'll bring it up. Like that was one of the weirdest parts of this entire movie. It really was weird. And when she actually kisses him, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so painful. But I actually like how they kind of they they they. They rectified that by saying, like, it was her that was like, you know what? This doesn't feel right. This feels like I'm kissing my brother or something, as opposed to him having to say, you know, you know, basically like either being mean to her and trying to get her to intention not like him or him having to like spill the beans and say that he did actually, you know, he's a time traveler. I'm your son kind of thing that could have completely ruined the movie. But I like the fact that it was her that realized that that there was a different type of connection there. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And not not actually having to like expose her to that, but um, I think it's a good movie. I think it's an entertaining movie. Um, I don't mind that it's dated. I think it's funny and clever, and it was really kind of refreshing to see Michael J. Fox um, young and vibrant and healthy. And yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. It, it, it's kind of heartbreaking now. Um, I mean, it's no secret. Everybody knows that he's he's dealt with Parkinson's for a long time. He's a huge you know vocal activist for the disease and. It's nice seeing him uh, like that at his best, you know, riding skateboards and doing stunts and stuff. I really enjoyed it. Um, but it is kind of heartbreaking, too, um, at the same you know, the same breath. But One it was cool, like, because, like I said before, he was that was when he was on top of his game. Yeah. Like, he really, really was. Yeah. So it's nice to see that and, 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 and just view it as itself. And this is a roundabout way of saying, like, I'll give this like a really high seven, like a seven point nine. Cool. I didn't absolutely love it. I wasn't, you know, just completely blown away. Um, but it is rewatchable. It's really entertaining. It's really funny. It's really clever. Um, if they had implemented more Christopher Lloyd in this, it may have been pushed up even higher because he he plays the part extremely, extremely well. But um, overall, though, a really good movie. And uh, I, I see why it's kind of. I don't know, everybody I talk to, like, this is one of their favorite movies, you know, especially people of your age kind of thing. You know, my, my parents, I don't know how much they were into it, but I know that this is, like, one of those movies that has just a lot of staying power, like a Star Wars or, you know, like, any other movie of the of the era, basically. But what what would you give it if you had to? I know you love it a lot. Yeah, I, I would give it an 8. And it's funny, you give it a high 7, 7.9, I give an 8. So I think we're both right on the same level. Like, I like this movie a lot. It's really, really good. And, but it, it definitely falls into the movie category. Like, it's just an entertaining a lot of fun to watch. You know what I mean? I really like this movie a lot. It is definitely enjoyable. And it was really cool, too, like I said, when I got a chance to show, my, show it to my son. And my son felt it was just as good. You know, like he really enjoyed it, too. You know, and, and the fact that we got to go down to Fan Expo, I took my son with me and got a chance to meet Christopher Lloyd. You know, it was, was exciting. So, so yeah, eight. I, I like this movie a lot. It has a special place in my heart, as it does with most Gen Xers, I believe. But uh, anyway, so that being said, I think it's time now to have some fun with Yancey. Okay, Yancey, so uh, this is my movie. I nominated this for the uh, the podcast this week, so it's over to you. You got some trivia for me? I do have some trivia. Um, as always, I had to take a bunch down just because you 
know so much about the movies. Um, I've tried to stay away the last couple of trivia segments where I had to quiz you. I've tried to stay away from the IMDb's and uh, you know some of the more mainstream publications where they would have trivia questions or like little snippets about the movie or the development or production. Because I mean, you know, to your credit, you know all that stuff. You know what I mean? And you've been researching that stuff and and being you know completely immersed in like the the backstories of all these films for as long as they've come out. So it makes it really challenging for me to try to do trivia for you and i think you've right. realized this um when i was watching the film uh, a couple days ago i started taking notes on like little things to see as opposed to just asking you questions about casting or awards that they won or that type of thing seeing if you can notice things that were in the movie um you mentioned earlier product placement and talking about how like uh, the ford mustang like ford really wanted to do uh product placement with that there were all kinds of other brands that you saw throughout there and i don't know if they paid to be there or not but they were definitely there um, so some of the questions I have kind of pertain to that. All right. So um, one of the weird things, actually, let me, let me see where I want to start this. So at one point, Marty's girlfriend hands him a handwritten number. It was the grandmother's number. And, he's, and she says, you know, to call me later because I'm going to be at my grandma's house. I know this is a long shot. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping because they do like a really close pan of it and it's in the center of the screen and it stays there for a couple of seconds. Can you name the number of the grandmother and her number that she hands to Michael J. Fox's Marty McFly character? Would it be 8675309? Uh, that would be Tommy Two-Tone. Uh, that is incorrect. No, it was 5554283. I know that's a little okay. bit of a stretch, but I was I, for some reason I, I thought you could get it. No, I just thought I, I was thinking maybe it was an 80s placement thing. That's why I went with it. I wish that were so. That would actually have been much better, but no. Um, all right, so question for you. Uh, what brand of beer does Biff take out of the McFly's fridge when he first comes in? So this is at the beginning of the oh, movie. He just barges yes. in. Okay, I remember. Is it a bush? It's not a bush. A it's actually a Miller Lite. Miller Lite. Oh, yeah. Interestingly enough, I don't think I would have noticed this um, had I not been looking for intentional uh, you know, trivia questions. Mm -hmm. But So Biff comes out, and he takes out a Miller Lite, and he yep. drinks it, right? Then later that night, they're shown during dinner, and the dad's drinking a Budweiser, which I don't know about you, but I have never been in a single household in my entire life where the dad or the family or whomever drinks multiple types of right. like mass-produced beer. It's one or the other. Like right. We're a Bud family. We're a Bush family. We're a Miller family, whatever. I just thought that was really interesting. So it's, so. A, it's a continuity issue with the filmmakers, I guess. Correct. I, I, I noticed it just by happenstance just because, like I said, I was looking for it. Or they it. wanted to make so, more money on product placement with different brands. There you go. Oh, Who knows? knows? Yeah. All right. So uh, at one point, uh, Chris, so whenever I first call you on Skype, I mm -hmm. oftentimes we mentioned Three's Company. Yes. Um, I will either hum the come and knock on my door. It's kind of like a, hey, Chris, what's up? It's uh, yep. audio making sure that my stuff works. There's another song that I often use a lot, too, and it is Mr. Sandman. Mr. Sandman does make an appearance in this movie. Can you name the original group that performed Mr. Sandman? Oh, was it the Quartets? Is that it was the Cordettes. Yes. Oh, wow. This is, this is like 50 stuff. And the only reason I know a lot of this 50 stuff, if I could, is the um, my my wife's uh, dad, so my father-in-law, every time we go into his house, all he does is play stuff from the 50s over and over and over. So I know it all, a lot of it, uh, because of him. But anyway, that is what Did it is. Did not expect you to get the Cordettes, to be yeah. honest with you. <laughs> but it was just funny, though, like uh, just seeing that when I was watching the movie for the first time right. and hearing it. I'm like, oh, I'm like, that's that's awesome. Like, I literally do that. What? Maybe every other show, Chris, just the, you know, yep. I, I thought it was really funny just singing it into the mic. But you um, do. Yeah. 
you guys don't always get to see that. Maybe sometimes we'll put in uh, like the pre-recorded stuff that Chris and I talk about before we do trivia or anything. But um, so the the band uh, you, you mentioned it earlier. Whenever they saw um, Marty McFly playing the guitar and stuff, and he, you know, because uh, one of the the people injured his hand on uh, helping him get out of the trunk, and then they called Chuck Berry, and you know, who knows? Maybe he just gave it like a new birth to rock and roll as we know it. Uh, can you yep. name the band that actually performed during I can, I can not only name the band, they were the Starlighters, weren't they? And it was Marvin Berry, wasn't it? Correct. Yes. Yep, the Starlighters. Very nice. Because <sighs> he was like, this is your cousin, Marvin Berry. And that's when you realize, because he's like, hey, Chuck. And then you realize who it was. But Well well done. Okay, you're actually doing better on these than I, I kind of thought you would. So, all right. So I love this Marty movie a like, lot. And I've seen this movie a lot of times, too. So How ends. many times do you think you have seen it, honestly? Oh, I don't know. Probably... 20 oh maybe? that's not that much yeah. that's not that much. okay i've probably maybe, seen the maybe a bit more times. you know no maybe a bit more than 20 okay um next question what is the name that appears on the building that marty crashes into upon returning to 1985 oh, so it shows him smashing yes. into the building and yes. there's a, a marquee sign up there it is the name of a church and there is oh, a God. person's name on the building do you remember who I, the church is? i can't remember it Oh, no, I can't remember it. Okay, it's Reverend John Crump, which oh, no. I thought that was the, the best fake name I've seen <laughs> in a movie. <laughs> John Crump. Um, I know that was a little difficult. And then obviously, like, there was the homeless guy. He makes the joke about, like, junk drivers or something like that. Um, it was it was kind of weird and clunky. But um, and I also like uh, sorry, I also like the scene when he's in the, the soda shop and then he makes a comment to the guy that's mopping the floor. And he goes, you should be mayor one day. He's like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to be mayor. And then sure enough, he turns out to be the mayor, right? I know. But th- so that's another instance of him, like, changing history. Did he become mayor sooner? Did he, you know or, what I mean? Like, how, it was, how it was that inspiration, yeah, that made him want to run for mayor one day, right? But he was already, like, we already saw in the film, we already saw all those billboards of, like, reelect the mayor. You know what I mean? And it was the same guy. So, like, he had already become mayor and... I don't know. Like, there's this is what's the problem with with time travel movies is like you don't know, like, just is time all, or is the present that we're living in now already taken into account that somebody went back in time and changed it? Exactly. Like, we don't know. You know what I mean? It's it's really it's really really strange. But cool. um, um, I'll give you an easy one. Sure. Can you name me? Um, so we know Lorraine's character, uh, Leah Thompson plays her. Yes. Can you, and of course she has her parents and stuff. Can you name their last name? What is the household's last name? McFly. It's easy. No, it's not. Oh, you mean her or her her maiden name was Baines, wasn't it? Baines, yeah. correct. Right. Lorraine Baines. Uh, let me see if I have any other more. I, I partly the problem is I always keep these. Uh, I always keep my trivia questions separate. I was writing trivia as I was watching the movie and taking notes, so I'm literally having to like comb through pages and pages of notes. Um, I'll give you one more. Can you name me the actor that played Mr. Strickland, uh, the <laughs> the guy who was ironically still bald even back in 1955? Oh. God, I, I, he looks like Donald Pleasance, but it's not Donald Pleasance. But I'll say Donald Pleasance, even though I know it's not him. It's uh, James Tolkien. His name looks super familiar, and I went looking into it, and I don't really recognize anything that he's from. But I have definitely seen him in like a bunch of movies. Like I think he was in Top Gun. Uh, he was in like some other smaller films, like uh, Heaven's Fall and Seven Times Lucky. But um, that that felt like a character actor that I thought that you'd be all over. But um. Uh, I guess I got you on this one, but yeah, still, uh, in, in all seriousness, Chris, a pretty good performance. Um, yeah, no, he was I, good. I, 
I'm talking about you with trivia. Oh, thanks. Couple of a <laughs> uh, couple of cameo char- characters I just want to mention. Are we done with the trivia questions? Yeah, we're done. Okay, I have a couple couple of uh, actors that kind of just kind of made appearances in this that I really like. Mark McClure, who played his brother Dave. Uh, I liked Mark McClure because he was also in the original um, uh, Superman movie uh, with Christopher Reeve, and he played uh, Jimmy Olsen in that. And Wendy Jo Sperber was his sister, and I loved Wendy Jo Sperber. Oh man, she was on Bosom Buddies, a TV show, and she was in the movie Bachelor Party. Oh, Wendy Jo Sperber was also in the movie um, Moving Violations with Bill Murray's brother John. Oh man. She was great. And probably blink and you missed him. Casey Zamasco. I don't know if you know Casey Zamasco. I don't Are you into the Top Gun movies? I've never seen them. No. Uh, he was into those, but I also really liked him. He did a movie called 12 O'Clock High that I thought was great. Um, and he, he was uh, one of the uh, one of the guys with Biff, you know, one of his like henchmen. And one of the other guys was Billy Zane. Who you don't probably didn't recognize because he wasn't bald and he wasn't on the Titanic, but uh, you know, just kind of uh, little cameo roles in the movie that I thought were kind of cool. And then, of course, Jason Hervey played uh, her her uh, brother. I guess it was the uncle, you know, when he was young. And you know, he's you probably wouldn't know him, but I mean, you know, he was, was in he the, the one the Wonder was, Years. Was he the one that ends up in jail? Yeah, no, 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 because the one that was in jail was was in the crib, but he was the one at the table and he was wearing the coonskin hat. Remember, like he's from the okay, Wonder Years. Okay. He's like the annoying older, older brother. So there's a lot of like small parts, you know, played by some pretty cool people. And of course, one of the smallest parts of all that you probably noticed or didn't notice was going back to that scene we talked about at the very beginning when Marty was trying out, you know, playing the guitar and he wanted to be, um, to be, you know, hired to, to do, to play at the, at the prom. Did you, did you notice who the, the people were when they were sitting there giving him the audition? The one guy who pulls out the, the megaphone and says, you're too loud. Did you, did you recognize who that was? No. Um, I did not recognize it at all. It was no. Huey Lewis himself. And the band that he was playing with, the, that Marty was playing with, that he was auditioning with, was actually the news. So it's just kind of little cameos. Huey were, Lewis in the news. Yeah. yeah I, I know cool. they, they played they played a lot of Huey, Huey Lewis in this movie. And um, I don't dislike Huey Lewis, but I also don't like him either. <laughs> but you got to think again, if you, if you go back to 1985, when this came out, Huey Lewis and the news were huge. Like they had their, they had a, an album that came out called sports and it was really popular. Like there was a, like the heart of rock and roll. And you know, like there were some really popular songs on there, you know, if this is it and all those songs that they had and lots of videos. So they were a very popular band. So to get them in the movie too, was, was a big deal. You know, let alone to have Huey Lewis playing a part right at the beginning doing a cameo. And like like people that were in the audience, we recognized it. You know, I was like, hey, that's Huey Lewis. Oh, my God, that's so cool. Oh, my God, this movie is so awesome. So, you know, it was all these little things. So anyway, I guess uh, we'll wrap things up there. I'm glad to know that you liked it. We both liked it pretty much the same. 7.9 for you and an 8 for me out of 10. So that's always good. And um, next week, I guess we'll come back with one of our top five lists. We'll decide what that is. And we'll come back. Um, hopefully you enjoyed uh, doing the show this week, Yancey. And, uh, and, and I didn't kill you with a with a Gen X movie. You actually enjoyed this one. So that's good. <laughs> you know minor little baby steps chris <laughs> yeah exactly you'll get there and just like the thing is it's just like you reading all these classic novels like catcher in the rye which i'm so excited you're going to read that and hopefully the grapes of wrath soon um you're also going to experience lots of great you know classic movies thanks to me you know anyway mm-hmm. but uh yeah, for sure but until next week this is chris mcbrien for yance eaton saying thanks for listening to pop goes your world the pop culture podcast for the generations <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 